All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. How are you guys? Steve, I, I realized in the last five episodes, we you hardly said a word. How, what's Are you okay? Yes. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, Fonte, you're in a purple room now? All right, my fault. You're still the after effects of uh, your studio. Yeah, 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 man. I just, you know, I feel like I give y'all a little, a little uh, ring light uh, decor today. A little YouTube makeup artist. Uh, Vibe. Oh, I got you. I got oh. you. you What's the I mean? tip we're getting today, sir? Today we're make- getting how to do winged eyeliner. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Laia, yes. how, how's it going with you? Oh, it's going good. I'm on an island somewhere hoping my Wi-Fi don't shit on y'all. <laughs> hey. Nice. On vacation. Good to hear. Yeah, a little pre-op vacation. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, now I can introduce our, our guest. Um, our guest today is... Um, of course, uh, she's uh, an award-winning author, novelist, journalist, magazine editor from the Yay area. The Yay area. I don't know. I don't even know if people in the Bay Area call it the Yay area, but I'm going on a limb and calling it the Yay area. Like North Kakalaki. No one calls it North Kakalaki. Yeah, no one calls it that. That lives here, <laughs> except for the Roots when they're on stage. Um, I will. I will say that I. I Got to know and subsequently feared this woman uh, when she was the first black editor in chief at the uh, much loved Vibe magazine uh, starting in 1994. I believe uh, you replaced Alan Light, correct? I did, in fact. Yeah. I I did, in fact, replace Alan. If ever you guys wondered why is Amir obsessed with journalists more than he's obsessed with his fellow peers in the music business. I will honestly tell you it starts with this woman because I I only realized the power of the pen when it came from our guest today. Um, She's released a, um, an awesome book. And if you're a fan of the show and if you're a fan of just 
inside speak of, of music genre that you know and love, but things that you might not have known, um, I highly recommend you get uh, Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop, where literally not only does she reveal her awesomely kind of adventurous journey and in, in life uh, with her family coming up from the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and of course, uh, living all over and, and navigating through music. But she even manages to uh, break down and share stories of, of just intricate stories that, of, of artists that you love, but you really don't know about, like from the Dixie Cups to the Shirelles to um shit i didn't even know leontine price was related to the warwick right? warwick and whitney, wow. you know sissy and whitney houston and you know just drawing the parallels of how they you know those those four generations between leontine price and sissy houston and dion warwick and whitney houston and what they've done in breaking barriers for just basically progressing forward but not to mention um you know diana ross Name it. Gladys Knight, Donna Summer, Merlin McCoo, even. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Questlove Supreme, Daniel Smith. Thank you. Hey. Wow. How are you? Oh, 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 oh. I mean, I'm doing good because I'm over here with y'all. So it feels, it just feels really good and really special. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Where are you speaking to us right now? From where are you? Uh, From my home in Southern California, specifically in Venice, California. Hey. Oh, nice. Okay. I didn't know I'd see I didn't know if you were uh an East Coaster or West Coaster. I mean, um, I I'm I feel pretty equally both over the course of my life at this point. I mean, I think I did 23 years um on the on the East Coast between uh, most of it in in Manhattan, most of it in Brooklyn, some of it in Manhattan, some of it in mm-hmm. Washington DC, but I'm back home in my in the in the great country of California, so it's good to be here. Good to have you. Okay, so the thing is, your Shine Bright book, it's almost like Jeopardy, where your Shine Bright book, in my opinion, is almost like an episode of Questlove Supreme without mm-hmm. us asking the questions, you know? So it's wow. almost like if I were to go, well, no, literally, she, you know, especially. It's a cheat sheet. It's a good cheat sheet. Especially in the first chapter um, where you're breaking down your journey. Um, mm. it's almost like I, I feel like it's disservice to even recap that. So I kind of want to take a, a different route with this episode than I would normally do if you were a recording artist. And well, you know, one, I want to just ask the obvious. Why did you feel uh, the need to construct this book and tell these stories? Why did you feel the need to sort of construct the story in the manner that you did? And why was it so long overdue? Well, let me answer the uh, the second question first. Why mm. was it so long overdue? It's a combination of, on my part, um, timing, uh, combination, add to that a lot of second guessing myself, uh, add to that um, a little bit of fear and add to that. I hadn't quite figured out the best way to tell it. I just hadn't. I had to get to that place. I had to get really strong, I think, um, a way that I hadn't felt probably, I don't know, in a half a decade um, by the time I finished 
shine bright. So it's it's all my fault. It's not my editor's fault. It's not anybody I interviewed. Uh, it's not their fault. It's 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 my fault. Just being uncharacteristically slow and missing of deadlines, which so this took you ten years. Oh, now let me tell you something. If my husband was here, he would say um, it, it took me eight. I feel okay. like I've been writing it since I was eight years old, but I think technically it took me six years. All right. You're speaking right. of your husband, uh, the beloved uh, Elliot Wilson. Why yes. in? Yeah. Why yes. in in the house? Seven, 17 years. 17 years. Ooh. That's awesome. In hip hop, that is it. Right? <laughs> like know. straight up and down. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so it's um, it took me too long. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, it just... The timing was right. It was the reason why I wanted to do it is, you know, long story short, when Whitney Houston died in 2012, which she shouldn't have, but when she did die in 2012, you know, people approached me and said, could you just write a bio of her really quickly? And, you know, let's go heavy on the drugs. Let's go heavy on the bad marriage. And, you know, I was just like, They would no. tell you that? Yes. In what? a sentence. In one sentence. Yes. What? Oh, my God. Like what? Like drugs. Bobby, like, let's go. How fast can you get it done? And I was like, I'll have it to you on the 12th of never. Like, I'm not doing that. So, <laughs> right. so I came back to some folks with an idea about doing a history of black women in pop. I sold that and I was never finishing that. And then I left that publisher and I went back home, so to speak, to Chris Jackson at One World. Chris Jackson published my, I have two novels from the early 2000s, more like Wrestling and Bliss, that Chris Jackson published. And so I wanted to go back home with him. One, because he's a genius. And two, because I trust him deeply. And he just said, you know, eventually he said, you're going to have to put yourself in the book. I'm eternally grateful to him for saying that. Um, and then I spoke to my sister, who's so much a part of Shine Bright. And my sister was like, are you asking me if you could tell my story? She was basically like, B-I-T-C-H, you should have been told it. So <laughs> so then we were off to the races. You know, at the top of the um, the introduction, you know, I, I, I was sort of tongue in cheek when I said that 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 I loved and feared you, um, only because I I I realized. I mean, for starters, you know, with the source and with vibe, and at least the first wave of of late eighties, early nineties journalism being uh, sort of in a serious form, and not just like. And this is not to take away from Cynthia Horner or Black Pete or Steve Ivory or those guys. Um, but, you know, there really hasn't been black critical writing. And although I've seen it with rock journalism, like I've never seen uh, a takedown article or anything of that level from the black side of things. And, you know, you ran a very tight, like your version of Vibe magazine, which I guess is 94. When did you leave Vibe? 90. I, I started as I started as. Music editor in 94. I was there to 96. Went back to school for a year to 97. Came back. Uh, got promoted to Vi to the, be the first black and first woman editor-in-chief of Vibe in 97. I left in 99. Then I came came back in 06 and was editor-in-chief of Vibe again, 06, 07, 08. Two years. Two years. Every time. I would say that, you know, your era was way different. I, I noticed immediately uh, your era from, say, Alan Light's period, uh, I guess the treacherous shoe was what, mm -hmm. 91, I believe, 90, uh, 91. 92. 
90, yeah, 92 to 94. Mm-hmm. And not to say that, you know, because I'm friends with Alan, like, I'm not saying it was light in the ass, but I, I definitely saw a noticeable difference between both those issues. And that said, I don't know in my mind, and I think this is often of how the world will see black women as, you know, we always use these words like strong, you will use fierce and all those sort of uh, colloquialisms to describe them. Um, And so I was a bit taken aback, you know, at how vulnerable you got, um, especially in the first chapter, speaking of your imposter syndrome and you like, you know, because it was kind of like, whoa, like you don't see a human side. Well, I'm a journalist often don't insert themselves or that sort of thing. Mm. So I was really just I, I was I was pleasantly surprised of how you weaved your, your life in music. Like, I love those type of things, whereas not that I'm just learning a lesson of the artist, but I'm also learning the effect that it had on you because your writing career also had an effect on artists as well. I learned a lot from Alan. Um, Alan first gave me my first um, album review when he was editing the review section at Rolling Stone. That was my first Rolling Stone. Um, what was your first album? It was in Vogue, the second Funky album. Funky Divas? Yes. Funky Divas. You gave it two Ooh, stars. Wow. Yeah, I did it. I did it. Woo! I didn't. Come on, it was. I, I was. I was a big homer at that time. If I'm not still just a and big old you're homer. From Oakland. Come on, man. You know they were gonna call me to do it in Vogue. Come Yo, on. you know it's weird. Okay, so two I, stars for real. That's real life. I don't know. Hey, don't listen. I, don't listen to him here. Don't. No, do I'm. A, I'm gonna tell don't you something, Danielle. You can't. You can't debate me on this. When I tell you, like in the order of I mean, a, cat, a cat like Fonte will study MCs, study production, whatever. I don't know. Like I study record reviews. I study journalists. I like I, I study the people that determine whether or not an album is going to have shelf life or not. I very much no. Here's the thing though. I actually agreed with you. I didn't realize that you were the one that wrote that. And to be fair, did I give it two um, stars? Well, I was going to say to be fair, Hold you don't now. determine how many stars it gets. I don't. The publication. Oh, they do. Yeah. The publishing oh. and, that, and, gets and it. by the way, that's always the case. That was the case at the source too, and that was the case at Vibe when we used to give our little red light, green light, yellow light, or whatever we used to do. Right. At Vibe. Yeah. The music editor determines it. But the yeah, I editor. remember. Yes. Everybody doesn't know that, y'all. Y'all know that, right? I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm a fan. Hold on. I'm listening to what y'all saying. Hold on. I'm a fan. What you're saying is the person who wrote that whole review mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to do with those stars. No. And how? So how right. do they come up with them stars? The music editor. The music based editor will determine it. Yes. So it's not even based on what you wrote. It's just based on what the music editor thinks. No, it's kind of based on what you wrote. And it's based on whatever their taste is also. But okay, so since you're kind of doing this in the 90s, and I will mm-hmm. say that, you know, post Karis One PM Dornish confrontation levels, I mean, you worked at Vibe, where I did, and you worked at Vibe during one of the most dangerous issues of all time. I did, which is the death row issue. Wouldn't your music editors at least want to give you warning if they're going to give it a less than savory uh, rating, knowing? I could never answer that question except for on a case by case basis. Honestly, it was, as you said, it was a very wild time. And when you say, you know, I worked at Vibe during the most dangerous time during the death row issue. I mean, I really honestly have to look at the dates one, because I've blocked so much of that trauma 
um, out of 95. my head. <laughs> oh, the mirror. Oh, I remember everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> because, because what I think people tend to forget, at least with me, is that especially with regard to Death Row and Tupac, Tupac wasn't just celebrity MC for me. He's actually a good friend of mine from Oakland. And so I recused myself from a lot of the coverage of Tupac almost um, until after he passed. It was such a complex time at that time, such a time when I always say the vibe called upon the strongest part of me and that it got it. It got it. It got it. And it did wear me out, which is why, you know, your music editor for two years, at least talking about me, I'm music editor for two years and then I get a fellowship and I go to Northwestern for a year because I just wanted out for a while. You know, uh, I wanted out for a while. And while I was gone, while I was in Chicago um, or in Evanston, both Biggie and Tupac were murdered while I was not even working at Vi. I ended up writing the obituary for Biggie uh, for the for the Village Voice. Um, But I wasn't even working at that time. I was trying to. Okay. I wasn't. And then I came back in 97. Everybody had died. And I put Kirk Franklin on the cover because he was number hmm. one with, Stump, with the Stomp remix. And I felt like that was the second line. I felt like we had been mourning for a while. Right. We, we had thought that hip hop was going to die. We thought that everything that the mainstream had said about it was going to be true, that it was just a fad. It wasn't real. We was all going to kill each other. Um, and then, you know, you began to feel it rising from its ashes. You know, you got to remember, like, that's when Miseducation came out. Really, and P- Lauren Hill doesn't get the credit she deserves for helping bring hip-hop back to life after the death of, of Tupac Shakur and the notorious B.I.G. And then you add Kirk Franklin and Salt, they don't also get the credit, either one of them, for helping bring hip-hop back to life. And that was actually my first cover hmm. as editor-in-chief of Vibe was Kirk Franklin and the family. That's how I came back in 97. And believe me, my publishers and the business people were like, this is a soft cover, it's never going to sell, it's not going to sell, it's not going to sell. And I wasn't really that person that was always bragging about, like, I know what the streets is feeling. I was not always that girl. I'm very much a pop girl. Pop is in the title of my Shine Bright. But it's like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I knew that there's no way that a song was going to number one R&B, I believe top 10 pop for the Stomp remix. And it wasn't like having a major impact on the culture. I also knew that because gospel never gets the credit that it's due for its impact on culture, period. And it had ne- there had never been a gospel artist on the cover of Vibe. Yeah. That, that the gospel fans, the church folks, were going to go out and buy two and three issues. And they Smart. did. And they did. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, 
told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Aren't people more or less investing in the vibe brand? Like, I'm going to buy a new vibe no matter what. Whoever's on the cover, yeah. Or are you saying that there's times where like... That's not true. There are issues of vibe that did not sell. There are issues... um, there's there's a thing like this. You have a you have a subscriber base, right? Okay. That's your small money, but that's your loyalists. Me. They, they keep they keep up paying that thirteen ninety nine a year, twelve ninety nine a year. Yeah, that's what's keeping okay, your lights on. But you got that's keeping the lights on. But the money money is at the newsstand back when the newsstand mattered, because that's two fifty three dollars a pop. Mm-hmm. Whether you're buying it at Vaughn, Safeway, uh, Key Food, Barnes & Noble back in the day, Walden Books or whatever, that's where the money was. And that's an impulse buy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was judged on. That's what any editor-in-chief really is judged on at the end of the day. Period. End of story. Even- so to imply anything wow. different would, would kind of lessen the work that you put into figuring out who you was going to put on this cover Ooh, and, and the was, content. That, yeah. No, you don't even know a science. And, and the thing about me was not everybody took Billboard into consideration. I took Billboard into consideration because I had been R&B editor of Billboard. Did you replace uh, Nelson when he left? No, or? no it was Janine McAdams that I replaced. Janine McAdams oh, replaced wow, Nelson. Okay. Yes, Janine's between us. So, yeah, no, I I was a person that always took Billboard into consideration because I worked at Billboard. And because even before I worked at Billboard, I studied Billboard like a maniac, which is why I got the job at Billboard. But it's like, no, I was the one that was like, if it's bubbling under, it deserves this. If it's doing this on the charts, if it's number eight with a bullet on blah, blah chart, then it deserves this. Now, people always wanted to argue with me, and we had the best arguments in the world at Vibe. But I was one who always took Billboard into consideration. Not everybody's like that. Wow. I think, by the way, can I just say this too? I think it's so 
crazy that I just learned right now that y'all thought every issue of Vibe sold. When I got to Vibe as no, a no, no, editor, no, we didn't think that. I thought I that. Think, oh, no, I did. I thought you were just asking the question. I thought you were asking the question, Amir. Like, is was it the brand that sold? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it's just that, I mean, like the it, circle it I helps. hang out with. It's vibe in the source was like a religion, and nah, straight up, yeah. Thank God for y'all. But we were the ones keeping the lights on, though. We weren't yes. the impulse buys, like, right? It's just didn't... like podcasts. It's just like music, yeah. right? Like, like, like we, come on, we want new new podcasts. Okay, so you know can I ask saying? you this? Because I didn't know this. Um, first of all, what is expected for Vibe in terms of going platinum? Like. How many issues have to sell for your uh, whoever the the higher ups are uh, at the publishers to say, hey, they're doing well? It depends on it depends on the year. It depends on the year because, you know, magazines, you know, magazines are pretty much gone now for all intents and purposes. There's not really a newsstand that you can depend on. But let's just say at the height of things, it's always a percentage. It's not a it's not an exact number. So at the height of vibe, you, you just never really want to be, be below 50%. 50,000? Oh, percent. Okay. 50%. And, and you figure your circulation, like at my, the height of the circulation for, for me, man, I got, I got vibe up, up to, I don't know, eight, 900,000. So you mm. want to, you want to, you want to sell through at 50 plus percent. Now that's high. But I have an ego. That's B plus. The best selling issue of Vibe in history is the Master P issue. Make them say, uh. Wait, what? what? <laughs> I hate to blow y'all up. No, nah, I can't. That make, that makes I, sense. I, I hate to. Now the South is buying. Yeah. Now the South That's exactly it. what now it is. Now the region. That's exactly Ooh. what it is. Yo, I, I would have put my mm-hmm. publishing and my cribs. I could have sworn that, that that Death Row issue was the greatest selling issue of all time. The thing about the make them say uh, it was a it was it was a it was a perfect cover. Wow! It was everybody. It was Mia X. It was mystical. So, it was oh, everybody. Entire, no and, limit. Okay. And, yeah. and we and we had a tank in it. We had a tank. I remember. And everybody had on camel, and so basically <laughs> the whole cover was green and shades of black and white but we did um what's known as a fifth color in the magazine business which means basically a fluorescent or okay. a gl- or a glitter and w- and we made the orange uh, fluorescent that oh, yeah i remember the orange that yeah. that episode left i remember off. it left remember. off and i'm not going to say how many issues p bought but cuz the world will never know <laughs> <laughs> The world will never know, but it was huge. And you got to remember, too, Master P has a huge contingent of, of fans in the Bay Area, too, out from mm-hmm. Richmond. That's where so, he started, yeah. So he was all over, yeah. So it was that's really the biggest selling uh, issue. I would never say the lowest issue because it's people that we all know and love, but it would surprise you. I would never say. <laughs> Come on, you got to. Y'all, y'all going to have to get that someplace else, man. It's 20 it's years so, ago. It's, it's 20 years it feel like yesterday to me, though. I feel like I'm on my way to an editorial meeting right now. Y'all ain't going to get me out here like this. Ah, <laughs> uh, damn it. Now now I'm going to go. I literally have all my issues in the room. Now I'm going to go back <laughs> to see it. If I text you, you got to verify it. I will. I will. But I can't because it's like it's mean, man. And it doesn't necessarily sometimes even have to do with the person. It's timing. Yeah. It could be the photography. Um, it could be anything. It just doesn't necessarily. It could be the truck was late, man. It oh, could please be tell anything. me what it was. 
No, you're going to get it from me. No, because, and you talk about you fear me. You see how easy I'm scary. I'm scary. Like, I can't say that. That's so mean. What if I just said, yeah. It's not mean spirit. It's, it's facts and business. This particular MC has the lowest selling issue in the history of Vibe. That's hardcore. That's it must be Jay Z. <laughs> yeah, it will be. Yeah. It's definitely anyway. not Jay. I will say they're from the South, though. Just to show you how things change. Uh, is it somebody? Is okay. it somebody who still has a career? Are they considered a legend still? Are they? Do they have a career rapping, or do they just have a career? Do they have a career? Do you have a career? Period. Yeah, they have Period. a career, but they don't necessarily have a career in rapping still. Okay, all right, got it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, I do want to know what what was the first or least national? Um, well, you said that Rolling Stone was the very first time that your work appeared in. A national magazine? I would say no, that's not the case. I would say the first time I had a national story was in Spin Magazine. Um, there was a column there called Dreaming America. Yep. That was my first national. Uh, <laughs> that was my first national thing. And I always remember that I couldn't believe I was getting paid a dollar a word. Was that standard or was that like? That, that was standard for mainstream. People don't even get that now. And it's like. Huh? I was made. I was no. I hope. Listen, you used to be able to make a living as a writer. It's very difficult to do so now. Even in the Bay Area, I was getting 10, 15, 20 cent a word. <laughs> if I wrote a fifteen hundred word piece, I was getting a hundred and fifty dollars. But when when and Craig Marks, he's the, he's the, actually the music editor of the L.A. Times right now. Craig was music editor of Spin back then, and when he said it was a dollar a word and eight hundred. 800 words. I just remember thinking, so that's, that's pretty much rent in Oakland back then. And I felt like, and I felt like, I I felt like back then, and I felt like I could stay in this. I could stay in this, but yeah, I wrote, I think my first uh, one was about a yo-yo. Okay. Yes. Mm, Black Pearl forever. Yeah. I wrote about DJ quick for spin. um, Who's also a favorite still. Um, and then it was out of those spin clips and a couple of things I did for the Village Voice that um, brought me to the notice of Alan Light and Anthony Day Curtis at Rolling Stone. And then um, I was only really R&B editor at Billboard for like six or eight months, something I outlined in Shine Bright. Um, but then Vibe launched and Alan had gone over there as music editor. And when he was promoted to editor in chief, because Jonathan Van Meter left, then Alan asked me to come over as music editor, and it was it was a wild uh, two years in that job. I always thought Spin was a uh, the weird cousin to Vibe magazine. I always thought they were weirdly related, like they had some kind of similar at ownership certain, or something like that. I mean, at the beginning we didn't, but then like in the I guess late nineties, two thousands, yeah, we were owned by the same company and we were in the same building. What was the company? Vibe Ventures. Oh, so. Okay, they own their own. Vibe Ventures owned Vibe and Spin. And, Bla- uh, okay. and Blaze at that time, too. Ah, uh, Blaze. Uh, man, I'm, I forgot about I Blaze. I remember that. Oh, what was wow. their focus, y'all? What was their thing? The Blaze battle. It was mainly just primarily hip-hop, but I remember Blaze. Blaze was like pre-complex. What, yes, Really with good journalism, mm-hmm. though. It was. Okay. It was. Jesse Washington was uh, the editor-in-chief. I was the editorial director. Jesse Washington is actually at uh, ESPN's The Undefeated now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had our uh, Illmatic rating moment with Blaze. Like, 
things fall apart like got a perfect five rating there yeah. and that j in the jay-z uh, issue. Be monitoring these review he's listen. about that he's about that life <laughs> he about that life I'm, honest, I'm not so that way it, now but it you know. does my heart good though it does my heart good to know that well, somebody of your stature and talent and genius was paying attention like that because we really tried like we weren't up there like fooling around like we were about passion but we were about rigor we were about facts and we were about deep and strong opinions we were about design photography we're about fashion mm-hmm. style all of it and so the fact that you uh, being you were paying attention that hard honestly it does my heart good and anybody that listens to this that used to work at bob the source xxl any of it rap sheet all of it um honey Yep. Honey, all of it. Oh man, it, honey, it matters. Yeah. I mean, I could take it to Ego Trip. I could take it to One Nut Network. Yeah. I could take it to King. Uh, Forty Eighty. I could keep going. <laughs> like I could keep going. Um, it, the fact that any of us that worked in those spaces were being paid attention to, that our work was being monitored or enjoyed, oh, yeah. or even it, it matters a lot to us. Look, all right. So the deal is, I think in that Prince issue, it was. If you guys remember the Prince. Um, vibe issue the prince vibe cover issue yes um there's a write-up for zingalama dooney oh wow that single-handedly like if you want to know the beginning of quest love's micromanage era of like <laughs> i must write all the liner notes i must know i must do all the interviews i must like no article ever scared me more. And the thing is, is that, you know, now I live in an era where, you know, I mean, you know, I read the New York Times now and just read like this year, everyone's celebrating the fact that New York Times gave like 11 Madison a two star review, which is like yeah. <gasps> shockers or, you know, I mean, there's been yes. like sort of like crazy reviews like Miles Davis is on the corner for Downbeat magazine, like throughout history. You know, it's different now because in the Internet, I. I sort of feel like artists write for each other. Like, hey, check this out. You know, that sort of thing, like when they're really going to go. But to me, when I read your Arrested Development Zingalama Dooney feature, to me, that was like, it was literally like watching the Apocalypse Now documentary. (laughs) Or (laughs) Amir Amir is also known for good hyperbolic (laughs) quotes. Mm. No, but it's it was it, it wasn't even you didn't even have to do anything. You didn't it wasn't a takedown from your point of view. Like literally speech was kind of sleep at the wheel and the entire band decided they're going to do a mutiny in this article. And at that point, I realized like, oh, man, a career could be made or 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 deaded in one fell swoop with just one article turning point for me okay so long story uh, i guess long story short it's like it i didn't even work at vibe at that point i was functioning as a freelance writer but i had a reputation uh in the business for being on point on time and thorough and more than that i had written a piece for a magazine that doesn't exist anymore and hasn't for years called Request Magazine that you used to be able to get at Tower Records. Okay. Yes, I love Request. It's a great magazine. And if you count that as national, which I don't always, just because it was given away for free at Tower and you didn't pay for it, 
but that was probably really my first national look was in request. So I did a cover story on Arrested Development when they launched. Okay. Okay. So it was great. Man, you talking about Tennessee, you know what I mean? You talking about Mm -hmm. all of that. I fell in love with them, man. I fell in love with them. They fell in love with me. It was a cover story. And this is back before I had been in the business long enough to realize it's not always wise to fall in love with groups. It's not always wise to allow groups to fall in love with you. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was a child. I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, something like that. I didn't know. You live and learn. So then when their second album is coming out, was it, it was EMI, am I right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the woman who was the publicist there was like, hey, you know, Vibe is doing this thing. Do you want to go, you know, go back and talk to each and everybody in the group? Yes, definitely. I was freelancing too. It was just like, it sounds exciting. You want to send me to Atlanta. So I went down there and my first conversation was with speech as it should be. And I have a mm-hmm. lot of, res- I have a lot of respect for him. But you could tell from the moment that I got in the car with him that things weren't okay with the group. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like something he didn't want to get into detail about. But, you know, as a reporter, I have my instincts. I have my feelings. And so when I began to talk to the other members of the group. And you were allowed to? Yes, this was a different time, y'all. There was no internet. I will there never was... let Kamal do an interview. Oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no evidence. Kamal knows that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so wild, though, it was like, at a certain point, I wasn't even going to people to talk to them. People coming were to you. coming to me. Dog. Yeah. And listen, I remember that group so well, man. And it's it's heartbreaking to me because there's such a like the music isn't necessarily necessarily always so like wildly optimistic, but it's just like I've been around Public Enemy; those are my guys. They're not the most optimistic group of brothers, you know. What yeah, I mean? no, right. <laughs> They're not like, but the but 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 the group Arrested Development. They came back. They were taking us back to the south. Like they were reminding us of our roots. Black like, joy. Yeah, yes. Everything. everything was like you know the blood in the in the dirt. Like we was all in there. The red clay. Like we was all in it. Like everybody from the northeast used to go back south in the summertime. Like all of that feeling was there. But then you know I remember that DJ's name was Headliner, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He set it off. Dion Ferris. I, I, I was going to ask you about Dion. Yeah, it was Dion. It's coming there back. It's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back. All right. Okay. And, you know, things just weren't going well. It's so hard. And I know Questlove knows this. Hard to keep a band together. If anybody watched the Metallica documentary knows that. Shit, and it's yo. like, it's hard to keep a band together. And Look you at my lawsuits. You could ask. You could ask this. You could ask the Supremes. You could ask anybody. The Commodores. Like it's hard to keep a band together. Yes. Um, and everybody was mad, and everybody's talking into the tape recorder. And they let her know. Um, wow. I I went. If you remember Ursula Smith, who was my uh, publicist at the time, at Set to Run. At set to Run. Set to Run. No, well, no, no, no. She left Set to Run and started her own. I forget where her and Amy Mars had their own. Yes thing and i came in the following monday like shaking in my boots because i was just like oh man like they're done with they're over with and if they're that easy to get 
Like, what does that mean for us? No, but and it's, Ursula, it's, like the amount of talking me off the ledge for like two days straight. Because I don't know, in my mind, I just felt like Arrested Development had reached the mountaintop. They've reached the mountaintop that Daylight. Yeah. yeah, that Daylight tribe, like a lot of those acts couldn't get to. But they didn't come up together, though, right? Like, did they come up together like that? All of them? Well, yeah, I mean, Arrested 91. Development had what a lot of other groups like that didn't, which was speech had mad ambition. Everybody doesn't come with mad ambition. Some people just want to make a record get it out there some other right. people have mad ambition and and speech had that it was a very difficult piece to write a very difficult piece to publish it was fact check and went through the lawyers and went through all of that and it was very difficult to publish and yes the publicist was wildly mad at me some in the group were wildly mad at me some in the group were so happy and grateful to me mm. um Dion. some were very grateful to me but I just want to say, as, as as well, it just basically outlined that the group was not happy and was probably gotcha. not going to stay together. Gotcha. Okay. Ch- check right. it out, Fonte. I don't know. Have you have you read Maurice White's autobiography? I have not yet. I've, I yeah. mean, it's kind of the structure where. Wait, we just recently did an interview with someone. Cameo. I think it was Larry Blackman. Larry Blackman said yeah. Larry Blackman said it was a a democracy. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, dictatorship. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it like a democracy d- dictatorship where I guess it's the I, I think it's the the idea of, hey, we're a community, we're all these things. But really, I mean, the decision falls on one person, that person's yes. speech. And this same about person. Bon Jovi, yeah. a lot of groups like that. Earth, like, Wind mm-hmm. and Fire, too, right? Like more recently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's what I was saying with the, with the Earth, Wind and Fire book. Um, no, not even that. I mean, Maurice White, I mean, uh, Philip Bailey went into heavy with, oh, okay, Maurice is sort of the estate of Earth, Wind, and Fire. We're just people for hire. He told and me. as as I'm certain that you know, Fonte, you know, absolutely, uh, as an artist about being blue collar, like often we get in this game. Because we, you know, we, we we see these slow motion uh, hype Williams shots and it's like, ah, we, we get our Bentley moment and <laughs> it never happens that way. And um, it's just that this time headliner was just mad about his money, mad about like the situations. But it was very much like, head, you know, the, the rest of the band was explaining how unsatisfied they were with the situation that they I were remember in. Now, but I, so. but I could see how it could have an effect on you as it had an effect on a lot of people, that piece, because one, it said that Vibe was going to do stuff like that. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Black people never seen something to that level. No, Ooh. because this is the thing. Because, because the media that is considered to be ours, right, Ebony Essence, you know, Going back to the to the to the black newspapers that came out of Reconstruction all the way up through the fifties and the, through the Civil Rights Movement and everything else, like the reason that these things came to be is because we were treated so unfairly by the mainstream media, mm-hmm. or we were just erased or not even considered. You know, you would talk about music in a certain town, and you would just talk about all the white artists and never talk about the black artists, or you would talk about all the male artists and not talk about the women artists. So it's like. Vibe existed in a space of like, well, of course, this is going to always be a place of celebration. 
But the thing that I always did learn from Quincy Jones is that Vibe was to be a place of celebration and interrogation. That no one would trust us on the celebration if we didn't also do the interrogation. And so I felt supported by Quincy, by Alan, in doing that. And honestly, it it was a very difficult piece for me to write, for the for the magazine to publish. And also it it set the industry back on its heels a bit. That it's like we love vibe, but you just don't know. You still you gotta just be good. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so to some that was great because it meant that we weren't like a pamphlet or we weren't mm-hmm. just like it meant that fluff. it wasn't we just more fluff. Yes. Yeah. You gotta remember one of the first pieces in Bob, I think it's in the trash issue, right? The the test issue in which Tretch was on the cover, and there's a big piece by the great Scott Polson Bryan in that piece. And the and the headline is one for all time about Sean Combs. The headline is this is not a puff piece. <laughs> right. Right. So mm. so it's something so many meanings. So many meanings. Yeah. And so and so we were always on that the, even with all the death row stuff, it's like our you know, people were like, are, are you guys contributing to it? It's like, are we, but are we reporting as any other culture would report on its culture? And is that also new and different for black and multi, the black and multicultural audience of vibe to, to hear and see? So it was, it was very hard. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. For most black women, at some point, you feel that protector moment where you're like, you know, do you have to fight that protector moment? and go with more of your journalistic mind? Or does that not even ever come into your head? There's this, and I, it's funny, because I was like, I wonder if she writes in this. I haven't gotten to that point if you write about this in Shine Bright. But I was like, you know, that protector 
moment where you go, this could maybe hurt this feeling, you know, so maybe I won't do that. Did you ever have that moment? I, I have that moment every day of my career. Okay. Okay, I, 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 I couldn't tell by looking at your face. I was like, "Am I saying something foreign?" I don't. No, okay, no. Every, okay. Every 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 day of my career, and especially as editor in chief of Vibe, it's um, it's even different as being editor of Billboard. Talk about that. Why? It's it's a trade magazine. It's it's right. all it's right. all it's all genres. I got to know mm-hmm. about what's going on in country, classical, adult, contemporary. Bubbling under, like, I got to know about what's going on everywhere. What's going on with pop singles, pop albums. Like, I know R&B this, R&B that. I got to know what's going on in Latin music. I got to know what's going on globally. Like, I got to know what's going on everywhere and make decisions based on all of that. But, you know, when you're at Vibe, you're covering Black culture for a multi for a Black and multicultural audience that's not even used to being covered all the time with rigor and passion. Uh-huh. It's like... It's like, even like in history, if you look at Ebony, at the very beginnings of Ebony, it's like James Baldwin and everybody's in there. It's a, it's a different situation. But then, be, to me, due to pressures from the community, it just became more and more like you can always expect good and proper news from Ebony. Mm-hmm. Until that Cosby issue. Well. <laughs> no, no. Hats off to Kiana for that. Yes. That's, that's the first time and, that and Karen, I've ever and seen. And Kiana's from what generation? The hip hop generation. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And so that's what I'm saying. It just it's it's hard. You know, it's hard when I can think of even small things. Like I remember I interviewed Wesley Snipes for the cover of Vibe. That's my first Vibe cover. Yo, and I remember that issue. That's a great issue, man. My mom yeah. drove me to his house in Venice. Um, he was going through it, and that also that movie wasn't good. Which, Which one, one was, was it? Dem- it was Demolition Man. Demolition, Demolition Man. Man. Um, the blonde yeah. hair. The yeah, blonde hair. I remember that issue. It was, it, was yeah. a hot, it was a hot mess. And the movie, the film was, but Wesley himself wasn't and never has been. So to me, he's one of the more underrated he's actors sure. in the history of cinema. Like, he's so good. Sure. I'm not saying he's made all the proper moves and oh. and all of that, but but my thing is, how do you... How do you say that? But then, mm. like, how do you say... Frame it in a way that's not... How do you say that? And that's the work for me. That's the work in Shine Bright for me. Like, how do I, how do I talk about Whitney Houston's mom? Sure. You, you, you handled that awesomely, by the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Who, who to me, is, it's just like, she's so important to the history of American public. She literally trained Whitney Houston. She literally sang behind Elvis Presley. She literally sang behind Bam, Bam Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, everybody. And it's like she literally contributed to the vocal arrangements for all of this big pop. And she trained Whitney at the same time she just didn't accept her daughter for who she was. Yo, and can I just say on that note, it's so funny you say that because as we're going through all these different lenses and filters for people these days, when it comes to the music business, I find it harder and harder to apply those filters if you really want the true story about things or you really want to talk to people like if we really we I mean we've had these moments where you know even talking to me and Amir and Jake will talk about people and we'll be like yes they were significant they are historical we these conversations should be had however but this little thing had happened and so I'm so curious Danielle how you navigate that like because even in a situation like I can't even say names because you feel guilty, but no man who was doing business in the 60s, 70s, and 80s is 
fucking straightforward has no shit with them basically <laughs> right there's no man there's no right. man so how do you like navigate that that's it's just well i don't it, think cancel culture was was a thing then you know right. what i mean right as, as much as it is now. now yeah i guess that's why journalists get paid less and less they can hardly write right well exactly. it's also because artists have so many other avenues in which to tell their story. It used to be that the only place that you had to go. Nah, they go on IG Live, no. Yeah, you just go on IG Live. You can go right to your Twitter feed, your IG feed. And some of that, I have to say, I am not mad at. Like, I I miss... Even if it's to the detriment of your... Do I miss it? Yes. Do I miss being like, you have to go through... Five. Essentially, you got to go through me and my cohort. Yeah. Right. Right. So, do do you miss that feeling of like, oh my god, yeah, this is we're vibe. Yeah, of course. But you know, to to everything there is a season. We were we were we were needed for that at that time. We, We were desperately needed. But I can just give you an example. So I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Uh, this picture me doing a talking head moment for a Michael Jackson documentary. Okay, thank you. Come on. Yes. And so, and so, no, and not even to get into the complexities of Michael's situation, but just to say this, just to talk about the internet part of it. Yeah. So so the the person that's directing or asking me the question says, don't you just find the internet to be totally overwhelming and ridiculous? Like, you can just put Michael Jackson's name into into Google's uh, Google search bar and then like 8 million pictures come back about Michael Jackson 12 million stories headlines everything in the world is just so overwhelming and terrible isn't that just cheapening Michael's legacy this that, and the third and I was like not nah, actually I don't because see I grew up a Michael Jackson fan and I couldn't find anything about Michael Jackson when I'm 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 years old and all I wanted to know about was Michael Jackson. If I didn't have Cynthia Horner's Write On magazine, mm-hmm. what what really would I have? Mm. Right. I mm. said I I, didn't, I I was insatiable. When mm-hmm. you're 13 year old as a fan, oh my God, I was insatiable, and I couldn't find anything. And I told him, I said, so I actually feel flush, man, with joy that I can put Michael Jackson's name into a Google search and just see every million, even if the news is bad. Even if the mm. news is ugly, yeah, I said just I having would rather access that, to it. I would rather yeah. that than to have like to be searching and thirsty to know something about to be my invisible. favorite one. Yes. So that's why. Go ahead. I'm Can sorry. I ask a question? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I was going to ask you, what was the hardest issue for you to execute? However, I wanted to take a wild guess. How hard was that Michael Jackson issue to put together? What? What you? You know better than me. What year was that? Was I there? 95. Michael Jackson was on the cover of Vibe magazine, dressed very uncharacteristically. He was dressing. I think uh, Kadada had dressed him in Tommy. Tommy um, Hilfiger. Hilfiger. (laughs) Wait, you don't remember this, Fante? I don't remember. He had a Kango on? He got a Kango on. Google Vibe Michael Jackson cover. I remember it. I remember it. Wait a minute. Let me me take me into my memory. Whoever just looked it up, what are the cover lines on there? Uh, Michael makes history. Uh, mm-hmm. The King of Pop strikes a pose. Easy E's final days. Notorious B.I.G.'s smokers smokes Cali into the Wu Tang Clan with uh, oh I can't read the name something uh, oh with Bones Malone Duh, Bones Malone mm-hmm. yeah. that was uh, ninety five 
barely have any memory of that except for easy damn that's a flex that's a flex like oh michael jackson i don't remember that shit what do you remember um, about easy e what do you remember about the easy interview this is easy well this is oh this is post he had died final days yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's what that was uh that's what that's what i remember about that about that particular issue because 95 okay so i'm music editor i just remember that well one i just remember that it was uh yeah, remember, I'm from the Bay Area, so I've been knowing about and dealing with AIDS probably in a closer proximity than, than a lot of people. Hmm. It was very entwined in our lives. And so, I don't know, it, it, the tragedy of that, man. And, and I will say this, I, I'm not even the biggest Easy e fan, but just as a human being, man, it was, it was just too much. And also the way hip-hop was dealing with it was crazy. Um, that's what I really remember most about uh, that. And I also remember just not liking the cover image or the design, which is rare for me, which is rare because it doesn't really even look to me like a classic uh, vibe cover, which we were very meticulous about on most issues. But you also got to believe, too, if, again, I don't know even if I was in those conversations, but I do know this. If Michael Jackson was involved, then Michael Jackson had probably had uh, final say on what the cover looked like. Uh Okay. Because you understand too, in that era, mm-hmm. um, Quincy Jones had a lot more to do with right. the day to day than um, than he did by the time I became properly editor in chief. I don't know. I just was always just under the impression it's like, okay, he started this magazine, and I'll see y'all later. Oh, but, but no. he was day to day. No, okay. He was he was he was not day to day, but he was like. If it had something to do with something that Quincy had something to do with, then Mr. Jones was involved. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't wow. know if I talk about it in Shine Bright, but my first experience. So I did for Franklin and then let me not get my dates mixed up, but I feel like I was called to the phone and I was told that Quincy was on the phone with Joe Jackson. Because oh, wow. because it was it was Janet had an album coming out. And so we needed to get that together. And I, and I was on the phone <laughs> with Quincy. And, and he is, they've known each other since the dawn of time. And I was the sitting editor-in-chief. And I was just like, why am I even on the call? Hello. Yeah. And they were just, yeah, just hashing stuff out. And then I was like... Um, they asked me, like, who who should the writer be? They asked. I think Joe asked Quincy that. And then Quincy finally said, Danielle, like, this is your moment. Like, speak up. Like, this is your area or whatever. Oh, the Velvet Rope cover. Yes. And I was like, well, you know, I think it should be me. And they were like, Joe was like, really? Why? And I, and I said, <laughs> simple reasons. I said, because... I saw her perform at the Circle Star Theater at San Carlos, California when I was eight years old for my birthday. So I probably had the longest relationship with her out of anybody here but y'all. And then also we're both really pretty much the same age. We're both Mm. really black California girls at the end of the day. And I mean, we could go through the catalog thus far. We could go back to Dream Street if you want to. We could do what (laughs) you want to do. And so that's when Joe said, well, it seemed like you should be the person then. Wow. I mean, I probably, my voice was a little bit more shaky back in those times. Yes. 
Let me not act like I was coming with all the like the all the full confidence. But it's just when Quincy Jones shoots you to Rondo pass, it's like you better just yeah. act like Kevin Garnett. Value. Yeah. Be prepared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for Shine Bright, what was probably the most surprising revelation in constructing this? And also, was there anyone that you had to leave? on the side of the road yeah. that you wanted to include. The most crazy thing to me about Shine Bright is just how much music comes out of segregated times. Oh my God. It's just, it just never would just cease to amaze me. And you keep thinking yeah. that as the decades go by, that it's going to be different. And then it just isn't. I mean, even if it's like somebody from younger than me who got bust. You know what I mean? And from a segregated situation. And I think people don't just talk about that enough. Like everyone just acts like we're just all out here going to school together and, you know, being friends together. And, and out of that comes multi, out of that multicultural stew comes this amazing thing called pop. Well, no, (laughs) well, absolutely not. So that was the fact that it just kept coming up and I was just got to be very nosy about it too. I wanted mm-hmm. to know the details of it. And I'm like, so you're on the back of the bus. What's going on? Yeah. You, when you were talking to the Dixie Cups at one time, it seemed like one of the sisters was like, okay, Danielle, yes. let me just answer all your questions. <laughs> yes. because- they were like, <laughs> no, but they got, they really, at first they were like mad at me. And then they really had to say, you really don't know though. Because the fact that you dropped after that was something that I didn't know. You said the thing about the screen. Like the when screen. You, yeah. Right. Screen. I thought it was a metaphor. I didn't know. It's a real screen. Like an actual real hard screen. With peg holes. Like it had pegs on it. And then there were holes in the back of each seat. And you could just move it and just put the, the, the screen up in the pegs. And they made the, and they made, and they made the yeah, black person do it. Uh, so basically, uh, there's there's a part in telling the uh, the Dixie Cup story, which uh, their single was going to the chapel. Big single, number, going to number get married. one single. Right. So they're, I, I guess you could say the the real first reign of of I don't girl groups. Corny like black girl. Ma- no, uh, but yeah, I want to yes. I mean, they they bump, magic, they bump the love Cups. me do like they bump love me do out of number one. So the Dixie Cups is. Um, Going to the chapel. Yes. You know, they're the first black group to 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 hit number one. Yes. And so she starts with them and they're telling a story about just segregation and busing and whatnot. And the fact that customers and bus uh, riders would often tell and I'm saying tell very lightly uh, black people to move to the back yes. of the bus and they would put a. I guess there was a a disposable screen that you could put up to divide. a movable screen. A movable screen to divide. It It should have been at the same regulated place. I always thought that's no. Okay, so this is the thing. That is what I thought. I always thought, and this is how you know that segregation never really gets discussed in detail. And I am committed always to not talking about black people or black women in summary, but in detail, because this is my thing. I always imagined that the bus was kind of split into like two, like into thirds and that the white people had the first two thirds and then the black people had the area like from the back door of the bus on. Right, right, right. But see, no, this is what's crazy. They moved the goalposts essentially. The more white people that got on, the smaller the black area would get because this screen was movable. And I asked Rosalie Hawkins and Barbara Hawkins, I was like, 
So when would it be the driver or the people? And she said, whichever. And then I said, would they ask you nicely or were they <laughs> or were in they mean? Like in and this is in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, New Orleans, that's and right. And I told her, I said to her, I know I'm asking stupid questions. But I literally don't know. Don't know. And she said, well, then I will tell you the way they asked depended on the way they woke up that morning. And she did that. And I said, we don't know how segregation really was functioning. Mm -mm. It wasn't separate but equal. It wasn't separate but equal. It was really going to the museum only on Tuesday mornings when Black people were allowed and stuff. Like, it was... Really, there's a there's a thing uh, I write about my grandmother telling me one time, my God, and we all know yeah. about these black nights. I mean, oh, you know, we do. The way my grandmother was just like, oh, my God, you know how conceited you are as a girl when you're like 19 or 20 and you think you're cute and you're really in the mirror and you're really getting that mascara right. This is before lashes and you're really <laughs> the pre-lash era. And you're really with your Maybelline getting right, and your grandmother's irritating you because your 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 tights your top is too tight and your skirt is too short. So my grandmother's really giving me that look, like, so where are we going? And I was like, I'm going to the spot, Grandma. It's like Thursday nights or Tuesday nights or whatever it was, and and she was like, Oh, okay, where is it? I said, it, Grandma, it's just a, at this cool spot. Like all the black people in Oakland get together, like. It's really weird. It's organic. It's just like we all just hang out there, and it's just so cool. It's like a lounge and drinks. It's amazing. She said, "Okay, where is it?" And I told her the place. She said, "Oh, I know that place because my grand my grandmother's born and raised in 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 Oakland." I said, "Grandma, you could not know the place. Like you're a hundred, I'm twenty. Like stop, Grandma. I love you, but no." And she said, "Ma'am, listen." We used to go to that place. And if it wasn't that place, it was owned by the same people. And the thing is, we went there because that was the only night that we were allowed to go to that club. It wasn't, it was like Tuesday nights. So we all had to get up to go to work in the morning on Wednesday. So we just had to go on Tuesday and on Saturday and Sunday and Friday, or on Friday and Saturday when, when that's a normal time for people to party, it was only white people that were allowed in there. So that's why... She's like, yes, that's why it's organic. Organically on a Tuesday. That is that is black night. And so my grandma, I was like, I couldn't wow. even have a good time at the set anymore. Yeah. I'm like, I'm living. Yeah. What? You blew my mind with that because I was like, that's nationwide. There's always a it's black always night. On a week night. It's always, it's always on, on a week night. night. Black night is always on a week night. You're you're right about that. And yeah, when I love writing about I love writing about, like I said, specifics and I like writing about culture and I like writing about something Ann Powers, who's the head of music at NPR and um, was music editor at SF Weekly. And I became music editor of SF Week, San Francisco Weekly, right after Ann and and really hand held me into that job. And something that Ann taught me was. This is back in the 1991, 1992. She said, no one's writing about, people are writing about hip hop as a music. No one's writing about the scene and what the scene is like. And I was, I was enraptured by that. And I still am. I still am. I take notes in my head on a pad or on my notes app when I'm out just because the scene matters. It matters. It's culture. 
And that Tuesday night thing is the same. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So in your, in your history, what will you say is your three definitive pieces of work? One of the most uh, important pieces to me and one that continually gets good notice from people is the piece that I wrote as the forward to the collection of um, essays about Tupac Shakur that Vi put together in a book called Tupac Shakur. And you can find it at uh, just Google New York Times, Daniel Smith, Tupac Shakur. And it's about a 4,500-word four, piece that basically just takes his career oh, wow. and life into consideration. And so that is one for me. The second one is from much later in my career. Six years ago, I think now, I wrote a piece for ESPN, the magazine about Whitney Houston singing the national anthem. A Super Bowl. I just really felt like, and my editor really felt like, and, and, and in fairness, ESPN really felt like it hadn't really been written about at, at, at the intersection of culture, sport, and, and just like American history. I put so much work into that Whitney Houston piece and it paid off. It won awards. Like it's really a, uh, one of my favorite pieces probably that, I ever wrote, and you know, I, I think I'm very smart in that piece. Can you give a summary of that? Because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. It's just very about Whitney Houston putting the entire country on her back because war had just been declared. Mm, this okay. was in the pre-security era, and Super Bowl was a soft target. So I wrote about everything. I wrote about what was going on with the war. I wrote about what was going on with the NFL commissioner. I wrote about her pre-recording the song. I wrote about the, I, I covered her, her performance in a second by second way. I covered every Ooh. single second of her performance. And that's what I wanted for my conclusion. And that's what we had. And I just talk about her at the end, just, you know, with the, with the, with the, what do they call it? The, the, the fighter pilots or whatever, the jet planes or whatever, the military planes going over her head. And 
really to me, I was trying to say how inappropriate it is. And but the way she sings free is so important to me, how she owned that word in that in the Star Spangled Banner. So many singers run from that word or they shorten that lyric. And and Whitney put a whole curly cue at the end of it. Right. She went up higher than she even normally goes. She went up into Mariah territory at that moment. She stood there in an at ease like kind of stance. Um, she was in a sweatsuit. When do you see Whitney Houston in a sweatsuit? Right, right, right. Yeah, track suit <laughs> and on. a headband. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she had a headband and some Nike Cortezes. I was like, who is that lady? To me, your ninety-five uh, Kells piece, mm. which mm. Well, see, that's blocked though. I blocked, you, I blocked but that. you're like the one that literally broke mm. the story out. Yes, we did. It was I was a team effort, but we did, yes. Okay, mm. I didn't know it was a team effort. The team effort comes in. I'm on the road with Dana Luxemburg. We're chasing him down. But the the reporting of uh, Dana Luxemburg is a photographer that shot him for the cover. The cover it, okay. it is, and I'm happy you brought that up, honestly, because Thank you. Because yeah. really the headline is for all time. The sex, the soul, the sales, and the scandalous marriage to teenage superstar Aaliyah. And the thing that made it what it was, was the fact that Dana got the shot. I got the story and Robert was so awful that day. And we didn't even know what we didn't know at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, so me and Dana are on the road. This is Alan sending me and Dana Luxemburg on the road. Dana shot so many great shots of Lil Kim, uh, Tupac Shakur. But So our goal is we got to get the story and we need him to speak. And also I got to report. I got to find his teacher. I got to find, you know, I got to interview all types of people. Um, He, he, his bodyguard let me in. We were at the, what was it? What was it called? The arena in Philly back then, the spectrum or the The spectrum, the spectrum. Spectrum. So I'm in the bowels of the spectrum. Um, It wasn't fuzzy, but it was another radio DJ that when I saw him, he was, it wasn't fuzzy, but it was somebody that reminds okay. me of fuzzy. And they were standing on stage in soundcheck that we had snuck into. And I told him my situation and he was like, you can have my backstage pass. I'll never, like, I don't mean. I, if that was Cosmic Kev, I he looked remember. like fuzzy from the yes, back. Yes, right. And I was like, man, you're making my whole life. You were doing the story and you weren't officially traveling with the camp not at all like we got on amtrak from new york to to philly and they they weren't super no welcoming there were literally signs up backstage at the spectrum that said if you see anybody from vibe here escort them off the premises wow wow and so we were like wow what it just felt like public enemy number one because we had a story on the this was my thing when i was at vibe music editor editor-in-chief if you said you were going to do it, I'm holding you to your word. Right. Like, I, I really believed that. And it was very childish, almost the way I would really hold on to that. Like, I would, my thing was very much like you promised. And I know a yeah. person could be like, I your word my, is your word. Yeah. But I know somebody could easily be like, my fingers are crossed when I said it. Like, that's how, that's how, <laughs> that's how, but that's how, that's how serious I was about it, though. I was just very like, no, they promised. So they're going to be held to that. And so, Jive and 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 Mr. Kelly had promised we were doing this cover story, and then because the Aaliyah stuff broke, then they said no. 
So my thing is, no, then <gasps> we're going to find you and we are going to get the story. I'm going to come to Philly and I'm going to figure something out. If I have to interview everybody in Philly, how do you feel about this concert in this situation? I'm going to do it. If Dana has to shoot you with a telephoto lens from the back of the stadium, then that's what we're going to do. But the thing is, he he let us in because of Dana. Dana was a beautiful woman, white woman from South Africa, and very just low-key with it, very, very uh, not like giving you set. Not very, not giving you sexy, but just giving you like, frankly, she know what's yeah. dis- disarming, like, disarming. So, so yes. Rob, so Robert said she could come in. That's fucked dr- up because you to the dressing beautiful. room, right? Sorry, That's listen, sad. listen. Mm. I appreciate that. That's though. all right. But listen. Dang. So then Dana said because we were really gang gang. Dana <laughs> said, "Okay, but I'm not coming in without Danielle." Damn. Wow. So then. Robert said, if you, because he knew I was, I had covered him before. I had been in London with him, all types of stuff on junkets, as people used to do back in those days. So he said, you can come in, but you can't write anything down with a, he said, with a pen. Okay. Okay. But see, I had a pencil. So it was like, (laughs) man, listen, it was so crazy I can't even tell you how crazy that was. But what I'm saying, why it was such a team effort, aside from the fact that I had Alan advising me, that Dana had George Pitts, the photo director, advising her because we didn't know what to do. Mm. Also, you guys got to remember, we were kids. I was 28. Mm. I was a child. Like, I mean, I was a, I was young in the game, but was just on it. And so... While Alan was advising me and George Pitts, who's gone now, God bless the dead, was advising Dana, then Carter Harris and Rob Kenner Mm. and the whole Vibe team was back there trying to find that marriage certificate. Mm. That was the goal that was set, and we refused not to meet that challenge. Wow, how do you do that? That's I'm about to say, how do you do that in 95? (laughs) Let me tell you something. It was work. And we yeah. had we had contacts. We were reporters. Um, we knew people who knew people who knew people. I mean, we were the ones that reported the fact that how Aaliyah climbed out of the window and got with the bodyguards and they got on a private plane down to Florida. Like, this is because we know people who know people. Yes. You guys had to be Google. We had to be. And so wow. and so Carter and them found that marriage certificate and we ran it. And that's also another one of those to go back, uh, Questa, what you were talking about with the rest of development. That was another time when people said, oh, Vibe is serious. Because you got to understand, I remember um, hmm. the C- one of the higher ups at Vibe calling me either on that issue or the next time we put him on the cover when we had even more evidence about his doings. I remember just putting it on speaker and just allowing people to walk into my office Hearing that man call me every type of B-I-T-C-H, low life, W-H-O-R-E, uh, vibe being fish wrap, vibe being, I was leading. Who is this? This is, this is, uh, this is like someone very high up at, at, at Jive Records. Does he still have a job? Does he still have a job? Does he still have a job? Yes, he does. So I'm wow. just saying, and, and, and then I remember too that Robert was saying he was going to sue Vibe. He was going on. I guess it was Hot 97 saying that. And 
I, re- I went on the radio because they were like, well, do you want to respond? This is how the internet used to work in the pre-internet era. And, right. and I was like, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that bait. And I went up there and they were like, well, are you concerned that you guys are going to get sued? And uh, Robert Kelly said he's going to put Vibe out of business. And I said what wasn't true. I used to feel so confident in, in our, which people don't have anymore in journalism. I used to feel confident in our reporting. I used to feel conf- confident in our fact-checking. And I used to feel confident in the fact that every single solitary page of Vibe magazine went by lawyers before it went to press every single month that I was ever working there as music editor or editor-in-chief. So my thing was I was able to say on the radio, I think that he's just like profiling. As we used to say in Oakland, he's just side busting because if he wanted to sue, then he would. But he would have to prove, one, that we were wrong and two, that we had malicious intent and we have neither. So when you run that piece about, you know, him doing all the abuse and just all the fuck shit. How do you then reconcile when it's time to review his next album? So I was there for two stories, two cover stories of R. Mm. Kelly. And I I mean, the short answer is I don't know what we actually did. I would have to look at the timeline. But if I had to Mm. guess, I would say that the discussion went like this. And this is purely me guessing. The record is coming out. He hasn't been convicted of anything. And so we have to cover it. I'm not saying that that is what happened, but just knowing how things tended to happen when I was there, that sounds like the way a conversation might have gone. Do you think that's how it should in 2022 with all the lenses? Is that how the conversation should still go? I think once a person is convicted of something, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. the conversation changes. Because a a thing, too, particular to the black community is this. There's so many times when black people are accused of things that they did not do. There's so many times in history where people are. Black people was getting canceled before canceling was a word because of things (laughs) that they did. I mean, things that they didn't do. And so Mm. we also had to walk a very fine line of like, well, what do we know? What has what is legally I remember there was a whole thing at, at Vibe that that happens at all places of reputable places of journalism is that you can't just go around saying that someone was murdered before there is a conviction to that point. You have to say that they were killed. Killed. Yeah. Oh, M- really? murder is a le- murder oh, yeah. is a legal term. Mm-hmm. It's That's a, a it's term, a legal yeah. term. And so these are the. So you would have to say Tupac is killed. You couldn't say that it was a murder. You could not until. Well, I'm being hypothetical when I asked. Yes, but but yes. Yes. And I do believe if you go back, you will see that. I remember that being struck out of many a a piece that he was that he was not murdered until someone had been convicted of having murdered him. Of the murder. Okay, I get it. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well... 
you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. In your, um, I guess in your your tenure there, who were some of the writers that you helped usher into the game? People that kind of started off as interns who are now like man listen look at your phone look at your phone i know (laughs) man first of all let me just say this i don't know who all i ushered in but i do know that i've worked with some amazing people i mean when i got there you know alan and jonathan van meter had already hired people like joan morgan who's dr joan morgan now yeah scott Scott polson bryant who's dr scott polson bryant now wow people like that like okay and then when I when I got there, I mean Karen Renee Good, Marable. Um, I was gonna say Karen Good was just starting out, like writing yes, record reviews and she was. She yeah, was you, a, you gave she, her Baduism as as a yes, lead review. I did. Yeah. I mean Karen and I are girlfriends. Karen was in my wedding, like that's how you know, we're girlfriends like that. So obviously Karen uh good Marable, um, who writes a lot now, so much beautiful stuff for the Oxford American, but also Sasha Jenkins. Jeff Mao. You gave uh, her start, I think. Um, yeah, I always got to be careful talking about who I get a start to. Right. Or, okay, not their start. Okay. <laughs> yes, but um, but no, Raquel Cepeda definitely is a genius, and she wrote for Vibe when I was there. And also, that's I met uh, Elliot Wilson, my husband, um, and then I signed him his first Vibe record review also. Ah. So, what um, was his first Vibe record review? You remember? No, but he he does. <laughs> but but that was way before we started dating. I was actually married. Elliot's my second husband, in case people don't know. No, so. really didn't. How Absolutely. long was your first your first one? Short and sweet. Nice. How short old were you? <laughs> I got married at like 22. Oh, girl. Oh, yeah, no. that was short oh, and no. sweet. Yeah. 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 Is it no. hard when, well, I, I mean, at one point, both of you were editor-in-chiefs of competing. We were. So... Because you guys were married and you're editor in chief of competing, not 
Hatfield McCoy level it was, of competition. No. It, it was. was. Yeah. So how does that work? Like, how do you find love? Well, you got a yucca. Yeah. What's separation of church and state when both of you are fishing for like the same story? Well, we had a history of it already. Elliot went to become when we back when we were just colleagues. Um, Elliot stopped writing for Vibe and he went on to become music editor of The Source. All right. So I was feeling competitive at that time before we ever <laughs> were dating. <laughs> So, but I had to respect the skill set. And sounds like that's one of y'all love languages. Yeah. (laughs) And then when I was when I was in grad school, by this time he was editor in chief of XXL. And this was around the time when we started dating. I had to respect it. Like that's when he put Afini on the cover. And that was just such a courageous moment. Like I I could only I wasn't even like we weren't even in each other's phones or anything. I didn't even know if we had phones back then, but I just remember saying to people, like, I know he had to fight to get that done. I know yeah. what I know what that fight must have been like, and I respected it. So then, when we got married, I was I was in grad school still, and it's like a nine ten months after we were married, where I went back to Vibe, and we went into it real, really very willy nilly. We thought it was going to be very easy to manage the situation. <laughs> <laughs> and after the first, and after our first issues, I I don't know if people know my husband, but he's not known for like his calm. And um, no, man, not listen. at all. Not and, at all. And um, he's such a yellow sweet, nigga. He's such he's such a sweetheart, but he's just not really known for you know taking things lightly. He's a very passionate individual. So and you calmed I, him down. I I will say the Elliot now is is way more calm, and <laughs> and I actually credit that to yeah. you. That's because funny. just his his nerdy ego trip Era. like days yeah. of yeah yeah those are my guys though all of them to a one but it's yeah. like but but no so we really after the first issue it just was bad like the way things went down huh? um yeah and so and also you have to understand that we had staffs of people that uh, Elliot had a whole staff of people that already believed in him and I was a brand new second time editor in chief of vibe that wanted a staff to believe in me. Mm-hmm. So we had to establish some, as we called them back then, some rules and regulations and some terms and conditions. Come on now. You got to give us a couple. Yes, sir. You got to, I got to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, if I'm honest, the main one was just that you could not discuss in any way at home, Good. anything that was going on with the issue at work. But you could say somebody was getting wow. on your nerves or I don't know why they don't have Coca-Cola's in the refrigerator at work, but you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> come home and say like, I'm really trying to get this covered with A, B or C. No. Gotcha. 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 Let me ask only because again, like you and him are to me the most courageous power couple of journalism mm-hmm. only because both of you had your feet in the fire again at a time in which and I, I I I'm using more hyperbole when I say dangerous I'll say more like exciting times but I'll also say serious times very serious like you you were de- you were definitely around during like the what they would call the danger era of rap the east and west thing but you know for also him as as a wife were you concerned about his situation at the source because hmm. 
he too was sort of in a weird pickled situation. The Benzino era. Yeah. I mean, he was at XXL at that time, but yeah. yeah. Right. And like, was there just any just general worry for safety coming from your end? Like, okay, don't don't write that op-ed because you know good and well that this is gonna or for you it's just like church and state, we're never talking about what our work is and bringing it into the home. When Ellie was going through the most terrible stuff, we were not dating. We weren't. Oh, okay, um, I get it. Yeah, we weren't. Oh, okay. uh, we started dating at the, I think, the end of 03, but let me not let me not put too fine a point on it because mm. I got it. Ellie, <laughs> I Elliot got it. was Elliot yeah. was way in the streets at the time when we were yeah. dating. So, just for our listeners, El- Elliot was at XXL right during the the height of. I guess the Eminem versus Benzino Wars. Yeah, the fit, yeah, oh, right through the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. it would get very serious. Very and serious. As I said, at the time when he was going through the very worst of it, we weren't dating. I knew him at, oh, okay. I knew him as a as a colleague and you know, there's a certain scene of, of writers and such in New York at that time, black writers and stuff, where we all kind of knew each other, would see each other out and that kind of thing. And I always knew Elliot. Like I said, he used to write for me when I was music editor at Vibe, and he was always supportive of me. I remember when my book came out in 03, my first novel, he came into, because he was balling, he came into Barnes & Noble and <laughs> brought like 15 books, and he was just, you know, he was that type of dude. But even from afar and through my friends on the scene and people who were publicists and other writers, I mean, they would say that Elliot was going through it. You know, people... People that saw him, um, I mean, these are his stories to tell, but people that saw him more than I did. um, And I also know just now being his wife for these many years, you know, the health issues and stuff that came out of that era, like it's, um, you know, stuff that he still manages to this day. So, I mean, he's a brave dude, though, but none of us are like superhuman, you know, and there was some real scary stuff that we all went through. Some of it is in Shine Bright. We're just... You know, threats were made. And it's like, I remember my mom coming to see me in New York from California. She really did, but she did a couple of times. And she's at the office, and I was just going about the business of my day. And then she said, like, so is this how it always is? And I was like, what? And she was like, just the way you're, it was a different era. She's like, just the way you're talking to people. I said, how am I talking to people? She's like, just cursing and stuff. And I was like, am I cursing? She's like, yes, you're cursing a lot on the phone to people. And I was like, that's because people are trying to back out of the things that they said they were going to do. That's because of this. That's because of that. And my mother said, okay, but like, are you running a staff? Or are you running a gang? Like, what's going on? But see, the oh, thing wow. is, yeah, but see, because the thing is, we, it was, you, Let me you, think you about began. It. It's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I was only there for about five more months. Um, because we were scared. And also, you guys understand how invested we were in Vibe Success, how much responsibility we felt to the community and, and to ourselves and, and just the music and to hip-hop culture. Like, we were obsessed. There's not a, a better word for it. I would say this about just most everybody on the staff, down to the receptionists. Yeah, it had to be a lot of pressure because y'all were top of that food chain. Yeah, like, and people were people were attacking us shit. physically. People were mm-hmm. getting guns pulled on them in the studio over mm, remember. record reviews and stuff. And so it's like, 
Yeah. Would you change anything? I would change and, everything up here. Like, uh, <laughs> you, no, I not, don't need it. Not everything, but you know what? If I just, as I said, we were all, we were young, man. Mm-hmm. I get it. Think about, think about your, think about your, I call them my baby cousins and stuff. Like, think, I think about my baby cousins that are like 25 years old right now. They come over and ask me the most ridiculous stuff. And I'm like, aren't you grown? And they're like, no. And I'm mm. like, I was a whole, like, I thought that was art, right. I was a whole R&B editor at Billboard at that, at your age, man. Like, yeah. what? Like I was at, I was, I was editing Havelock Nelson when I was like 25. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's nah, not fair to put that up. Now nah, their age, now nah, their age, like a 24, you know, in 95 and a 24 in 2022 are two completely it's different very different. Like, it's very different. It's very different. Oh my God. I'm not saying I wasn't mature, but I'm just saying I was still, I didn't have a lot of, I was learning how to manage on the job. And then all of a sudden you tell me, you come into my office and say, I was at the studio and such and such didn't like the review, and I told him I was I could I didn't know what to say to that, and then they just pulled out a gun. Shit. Now I'm I'm not going to act like I'm not from East Oakland because I am. Mm-hmm. But that's that was a loaded that's, statement. Well, it's 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 loaded from a native. Yeah, um, I feel you. But that still shouldn't be normalized. It's not normalized, but in the nineteen late nineteen eighties. In Oakland, in East Oakland in particular, but in West Oakland too. In your office. And I'm talking about when we These go to were, stories. Yeah, no, no, that's no. But I'm saying that, that you know, and you, you just kind of kind of had to be about it in East yeah. Oakland. And so did I bring some of that being about it to the offices of I? I, I probably did. Uh, I probably did. When you are running a ship like that, is there pressure? that you felt that your male contemporaries wouldn't have had to have gone through. <laughs> yes. What? Wait, 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 time out. Was Alan, was Are you was fucking Alan, kidding? These motherfuckers don't No, but time out. Oh was was Alan and Jonathan a screamer? Were they screamers or? No, yeah. not at all. Not at all. I almost think Alan's like, not passive aggressive, but like. No, Alan's just a very soft-spoken dude. Um, right. That's what but I'm also saying. Also, people deal with white men differently than they deal with black women All in the positions time. of power. And, All and, and, the and, time. and as much as I'm saying that, you know, I brought some of my East Oakland ness to the editor in chief's chair, I'm also sitting front row in Milan at, you know, the Jill Sanders show and things like that. And, and trying to, to give all of that energy before I even knew how to give that kind of energy. But if you're asking me, was it hard because I was a black woman? Absolutely. And this is the thing. I'm not guessing because I know the men that ran other magazines and that ran Vibe after me. And I know what their experiences were like as compared to my experiences. I know how much money they made as compared to how much money I made. I know all of these things. Also, just because I'm nosy and I'm a reporter. So it's like, was it harder for me? Yes. Were there right. t- were there times when it was easier for me? Maybe, but not enough. It didn't balance out the hardship. No, <laughs> not as an artist. I wanted to study who the gatekeepers of of reviews and words were. Mm-hmm. Um, when at the t- well, I'm still making records, but the time when I was making product. But for you, do you have hope? For 
what counts for journalism today, because I will say that there's like a level of, of thoroughness that is kind of lost. And there's also just technique. And and I'm not saying that it's 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 a lost art. Like there's definitely some writers that I feel like are super smart and super insightful. But for the most part, I think now it's like the wild, wild west where just, uh, you know, there's there's just people that aren't that knowledgeable about their subjects. They run on Wikipedia real quick or run to your old articles and add to it. Do you do you feel like your 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 era of the NBA or the new era of the NBA is can hold a candle to your era of it? It's harder, but yes, I do think they can. Um, for the most part, if there's differences in quality, it's not the fault of the of the writer. It's also what they have to write about. No, it's the fact that there's no budgets for anything. There's no, if you're writing right now for 20 cents a word, how much are you putting into it? I was writing for 20 cents a word when I was in my early 20s. If you were, I turn stuff down now because I'm just like, it's just not worth it for me to do that because I'm not even contributing to my household well on what you're trying to pay me. And so then you have kids who aren't getting fact-checked. You have kids that that aren't not even kids, but adults who aren't being edited by people that know and understand the culture and who they themselves are being paid well enough to put their heart and soul into the work. You have people that are only doing email interviews because no one wants to pay somebody's cab fare across town, let yeah. alone a plane trip. I remember when I sent Michael Gonzalez, another great writer from the oh, Vibe yeah. era. Oh, yeah. Shout out yeah. to Michael Gonzalez. Gonzo Mike at, at yes. Twitter. It's like, I remember uh, Barry White had an album coming out. That was the Practice What You Preach album. And mm-hmm. they were like, well, I, I, I wanted the story. Like, I just wanted the story. I wanted the story. I think I was a music editor at the time. And they were like, well, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. Oh, but if you want to send somebody to Brussels right now, then we can do it. I went to wow. my boss, whoever it was at the time, and told him the situation. They said, well, buy him a ticket to Brussels. And they went, and it's a great Great story from Michael. And the headline is Blackberry Jam. And it's an amazing, <laughs> it's an amazing story, an amazing photographs. And it's like, where is that going to happen? Now that's not the that's not the fault of the writer. That's the thing that's heartbreaking to me. One of the great things about me going to ESPN was because ESPN has budget. As I said, they sent me to Qatar to do Simone Biles. When is that happening? They can afford to 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 take care of people like Justin Tinsley, like David Dennis, like Soraya, Soraya like Lana. Yeah, yeah like, Soraya. you know, like so that people can make a living and have a life. There's not even that many places right now where you can go where that's okay. So when I say I have hope, I, I do believe that the pendulum is going to swing back, but it's going to take some foot stomping and maybe even some swinging on the part of the journalists themselves. That's when I say, yes, like, I don't know what a general strike is called for. I don't know. But something got to uh, give. Okay. Are you going to write any more uh, fictional novels? Whether Yes, I love fiction. And uh, my MFA is in fiction. I may. God willing, and life is long, I may. But I will admit that the things that I'm thinking about with regard to fiction now would probably be more scripts, maybe the novels. Um, okay. it, yeah, it's what I'm into right now. And thinking about how to maybe even look at my first two novels and how those things might turn into things that exist in other spaces, whether that's audio, whether that's, 
you know, filmic or whatever. So those are the kind of things um, that I'm thinking about a lot, trying to learn about. Uh, taking a page out of your book, sir, just trying to look at what mm-hmm. can happen. Pivot. Yes. Yeah, what can happen in, in documentary spaces and things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, you know, um, I guess by the time this this airs, we'll already made an announcement. Like, I'm, I'm a Frady cat in terms of I never make an announcement until the project is finished. Okay. And then it comes. Um, but the, the probably the biggest secret I've been keeping under my hat for the last two years is I, too, have written uh, a fictional book. <gasps> and we'll, we'll, I, I will assume that this will come out by next week. So Next week? Um, I'm, I've been a junkie of, of time travel. And um, one of my favorite writers, um, a, a, a gentleman named uh, S.A. Cosby, who mm-hmm. um, he's written many a uh, uh, New York Times bestseller. So he and I sort of came friends over the, the the pandemic. And I guess, you know, taking a break from doing the movie, I would DJ. But then taking a break from DJing, I would journal and wrote my other music book. This but is then so good. My fourth pivot was I I always wanted to write kind of the books that I didn't get to read as a kid. So it's and are those books like black people traveling in time? Or is that what it is? Yeah, it's it's the two kids. It's 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 middle school books. So it's it's two kids that are it's a, it's a YO novel. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 two kids that are 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 I love to hear it. I love uh, to hear uh, it. Yeah, a a, a grown-up boy. They're they're both 14 and 15 and the girl, she's like a science wizard and she invents a time travel device and he gets the bright idea to try to save one of his groups that he admired uh, from breaking up and the butterfly effect of yeah. of that. Anyway, oh, this sounds yeah. really yeah. good. That's like, I remember I used to read all those Madeline Lingo books, like Wrinkle in Time and all that. Wrinkle in Time, right. yeah. all, all the time those folks were white in the book. I love the books, but I didn't see myself in them. Yeah, I, I kept uh, that one under, under wraps only because like, Again, I, I have like nine projects on the on on the back burner and maybe only four of them will actually make it to fruition and the other five sort of fall at the wayside. And then I got to figure out what to do with it. And whatnot, but this sounds so. really exciting. It sounds so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. I want to ask you, Daniel, before we break up. So were you editor in Bible? Was this like 98, 99? Were you still there at that time? I was there from 97 to 99. 9799. Okay. There was a review. Um, it was the lead review uh for the for the Revolutions uh record review section. That mm-hmm. was a four heroes, two pages album. Um, I don't know if you even remember this. <laughs> uh, but um it was the lead review and that was just um if you you were there, uh, I just wanted to just thank you for that. I don't Man, think that was I the craziest never... lead review ever. Who wrote it? Who wrote ever. it? Ever. Don't get me the line. Uh don't get me the line. I can't. I, I'll have to look it up. I don't recall it off the rip, but I wish I did because you guys are making me feel like I should go back and find it. Yeah, that that review just opened me up. I mean, I never would have found that album had I not saw that, and that just That's opened how you me heard up just Four completely. Four yeah, yeah, that was my first time ever wow. hearing them, uh, reading that review. That's crazy. Wow. I mean, oh, you've been in, living in London for years, so it was whatever to you. But well, no, the the, you know. the they're the reason why I did the drum and bass thing at the end of uh, You Got Me. Yeah, when when Four Hero got that lead review, even I was like, oh, God damn, like, finally. Did Greg Tate read? Mm. I bet oh. you any money, money, it was probably Greg. I, I bet you. It sounds mm-hmm. like it. That's one of the honors you. of my life, too, was, is, is editing Greg. But at that time, I was editor-in-chief, so I wouldn't 
have been editing him one-on-one, but the way it used to work at Vibe was the writer filed to their editor and then that uh, piece then would go from, they go back and forth with it and then that would go to the, what was called the top editor, which was a senior editor, and then the senior editor would get it right and then it would go on page and usually then the editor-in-chief would read it at that point and then it would go from approval by the editor-in-chief to fact-checking to make sure every fact was correct. And then after fact-checking, it would go to copy editing to make sure every period and comment, everything was in the right place. And then at that time, it would go to photo. And then after, it would go to photo and design. And then at that point, it would go to production and be made into a real page. And that's when I say, when you talk about budgets, you're talking about paying every single person at at every single stage. <laughs> and that just doesn't Wait. exist anymore. <laughs> just hit me. I forgot. I believe... If you were there in 90, were you there in 99? A part of it. You guys actually let me write my own vibe feature. That sounds right. That sounds right. Oh, when you was naked? The naked (laughs) John. No, not the naked. That was such a moment. Like, it would be like, Chris Rock is guest editing. I think that was almost my last. That was cool, too. Yeah, that was, I feel like that was my second to last. Right. Uh, issue and then maybe there was the J cover where he has his hands in front of him like this, right? The whites in a white suit. Um, but that was kind of the end of my first editor in chief era. The the J Lo, uh, the very first J Lo cover in '99. That was, oh, I don't think I was there for that though. You guys didn't send a writer over, so literally, I just had to diary touring Europe. And that sounds like an amazing thing though, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's definitely one of the probably the, the second major features I wrote. Like, I enjoyed it. All right, my last question. Because you are from Oakland. I am. But to be of age in Oakland at the time when that first generation of hip-hop was coming out, are, are there any notable, like, for you, moments of growing up in Oakland that you can share as far as, like, the culture of it in terms of Shows that you saw when you were younger, that sort of thing, because it's such a musical town. And I mean, I don't know if I have how many Oakland tales I have. I can just tell you that your best one. <laughs> what do I have? I mean, I told you I, I saw the Jackson Five nearby in San Carlos at the Circle Star Theater, and it's like I I don't know. Like let's just pass by the childhood stuff and get back to me moving to the Bay Area as a college student at UC Berkeley. So now you have to understand too, that the Bay area is a huge touring stop. I mean, you know this. And so I'm seeing anybody from a flock of seagulls to Frankie Beverly and Mays to Ziggy Marley. I'm seeing all of that. And then when I decide I want to be like, I'm really going to become a writer. Then it's like MC hammers blowing up in Vogue's blowing up two shorts, blowing up Tony, Tony, Tony's blowing up. And these are just the folks that invoke the uh, Timex social club. These are just the folks that got famous. We're not even talking about, Right. Paris is blown up. We're not even talking about Kate Cloud and the crew. You know what I'm saying? We're not talking about MC Ant. We're not talking about uh, what about Conscious Daughters? Uh, Conscious obviously, daughters, yeah. Don't forget yeah. about the Conscious cool, Daughters. The cool, Ant Banks, like, the cool. Boots and the yeah. Cool was right there. Like we were all coming up together. And then, and, and then when when the tour happened, the tour that I was out a lot on, um, the Public Enemy tour with Heavy D and the Boys. Queen Latifah and the Safari Fear of a Black Planet tour with Digital Underground had those masks on. Yeah. Yes. One of the best hip hop tours in history. And and Kid and Play, uh, depending on the date, it would be MC Bree. Depending on the date, it would be Luke Skywalker, Two Live Crew. Depending on the place, it would be Sir Mix a Lot. Trouble T Roy died on that tour. Just like those 
Tupac was on that tour, dancing background for digital. Um, those moments and the way that Oakland hip hop will coalesce around, obviously Chuck D. I, I don't even know how I can explain it. It's just, and then we, I'd be in the studio sometimes at digital because th- those are my guys. And I was dating a road manager back then, all the wild stuff we was doing. And um, shout out to Neil Sleuth Johnson, who's an amazing guy. Still, we're friends to this day. Um, you know, we'd be in the studio in 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 Marin County or in Richmond, and be like, you know, gold records from like platinum records from like Huey Lewis and the News and Journey and Frankie Beverly <laughs> Mays and the Whispers and all Pointer Sisters and all this great stuff, Tower of Power from Oakland history. And it's like we felt Power like we were bigger. yes, we felt like we were in the righteous space, man. It felt good, and honestly, it still feels good. I had to get it out. Daniel, I, th- I thank you very much. I know we had a few uh, false starts in trying to do this, but thank you. I was going to say, Mark, Mark Weingarten wrote that uh, Four Hero review. He wrote that review that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's... I remember Mark, uh-huh. yes. Okay, yeah, but I just wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> oh, well, of course. We, 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 we are happy to be of service. We really are, uh, and we really were. And like I said, all of us that worked there over the time, I'm not saying we didn't have our bad times, but... If you are a part of Vibe XXL, the source, any of those big magazines, even Essence, Latina, all those King. Essence, um, Latina. Wow. Yeah. You know, King Magazine, Slam, all that stuff. It's like it's a certain fraternity slash sorority that we're all in. And everything wasn't perfect. We didn't do everything right. But we are most most of us pretty proud of the stuff that we did there. And if it wasn't for that, would there be Shine Bright? No. Would there be Black Girls on Book? Right. No. no. Not at all. No. Not at all. So, yeah, again, I really want to thank you. And, yeah, I, I highly recommend to our audience who religiously listens to our podcast. Um, you definitely want to get the book, uh, get the hard copy. And actually, you know, the audio book where I, I've just never heard someone so emotionally. Oh, listen. Ripped into. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, yeah. no, no, the days I couldn't read it, I would drive to it and. You know, there's a few times we had to break down and catch some tears for a second. And that to yeah. me, that's I was that's just going to say that. Yeah. An awesome level of, of vulnerability. And I, I really love the book. And it sheds a lot of light on a, a lot of unsung heroes uh, that we didn't yeah. know. So thank you very much, uh, Daniel. I appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you, Quest, thank you. so much. It's an honor. And thank you, everybody on this team. It's amazing to see and meet everybody. All right. On behalf of, of Laia and Fontigolo and Sugar Steve, thank still you, there? Daniel. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. There you go. The journalism episodes are my favorite. Unpaid Bill is back. Excuse Whatever me. you said, you're yeah. on mute right now. <laughs> I'll speak for him. He said, uh, give me a babe. All right. Great, great. All right. This is Quest Love, and uh, we'll see you on the next go round. Thank you very much. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country mega star while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. 
It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.